Good morning to those in Main Hall 1 and those in Main Hall 2. I want to welcome you. We'll be taking a short two-week break from Judges since Pastor Aubrey is going to be, or has, gone under, has undergone surgery, and so we want to uh, just continue to pray for him as he recovers. It's just a minor surgery, deviated septum, so please continue to keep him in your prayers, but uh, this week and next week, we'll be taking a pause from Judges. It's my joy to be here this morning to share God's word with you. I'd like to invite you to please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. And for those of you, maybe you're unfamiliar with Matthew or the Gospels, it's about 75% of the way through your Bible, so go ahead and just flip there. And uh, as you're turning there, I want to remind you of one thing that Pastor Aubrey said a few weeks ago. One, he said, if Judges was rated PG-13, then whatever wasn't rated PG-13 was rated 18+. If you'll allow me to rate my sermon this morning, I'm going to say it's PG-15. It's kind of in between, since we'll be talking about sex, adultery, and lust. So please join me in prayer as we go to the Lord. Our gracious Father, we come to you this morning, broken, in desperate need of you, Jesus. And so would you open our hearts, our minds, our ears to receive what you have for us through your precious word, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, a few years ago, I heard about a group of people who got lost at sea. They started the journey like anyone would, excited to see what would happen, but it quickly turned tragic. You know, during a, a great storm, the boat capsized and it began to sink. Days of sitting out in the water um, began to wear on them. They were able to manage to, to get a raft and climb into this raft, and uh, it began to get chaotic. And as they were in this raft for many days, they began to feel bumps underneath the raft. What they were feeling were sharks, hungry sharks. And after days of not being able to notify of their situation, blisters began to appear on their face from sitting under the sun for so many hours without any shade. Open cuts began to result in staph infections. Starvation began to set in. Dehydration was a factor. They began to get delirious, and they were dying, and they were losing hope. One night, two of the survivors uh, woke up, and two of the men that were in this raft began drinking the water, the seawater. And we all know that this isn't good, right? We're, we're taught from, child, from, from being babies that you do not drink this water. So this water, as they kept drinking, it, it caused delusions. It dehydrated them even more. And it caused their kidneys to shut down. And after consuming enough seawater to satisfy their thirst, the effects began to show. Both men began to go crazy, laughing hysterically, uh, mumbling things, hallucinating. One of the men actually said, I'm going to go stretch out my legs. And he walked off the raft and died. Those in the boat reported that it was a feeding frenzy. The sharks had never left, and so they ate this person under the boat, and they lay there crying, scared. The other man, he says, I see my car. And he walked off the boat and swam out. The survivors reported hearing the most horrendous, blood-curdling scream you could ever imagine. The sharks tore him apart. You see, all this because their thirst was so great that they drank the seawater and it began to kill them from the inside out. Eventually, 
We know what happens. They're drinking this water. It offers temporary relief, but it kills them from the inside out. And you see, eventually, it will lead to death. And this morning, we're going to look at something else that God says leads to death. We're going to see the seriousness of lust in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. Please read with me or look with me as we go to Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. You see here, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he's pointing them back to the Old Testament. And he's doing two things, really. When we look at this section here, he's reminding them of the seventh commandment. We read it this morning, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. He says, you shall not commit adultery. But the second thing he's doing is he's telling them what this commandment really means. You see, the Pharisees and the scribe during this time, they were all about looking good in front of others. Like in chapter 6, when we get there later on, if you look, if you continue to read, Jesus begins by saying, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. They were all about making themselves look good or be looked at as a certain way, and the Pharisees knew not to commit adultery. But you see, they had a very narrow definition of what adultery was. They saw the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery, as easy to do, easy to follow. You see, because during this time, if you committed adultery, if you committed this sin, guess what? You're not coming home for dinner. You're dead. They would stone you. They would kill you. Now, that's motivation, Let's be honest, there's times that we interpret the other commandments in this way. We might be tempted to think things like, do not murder. It's easy for us to say, yeah, haven't murdered anybody this week. I'm doing well. Maybe do not steal. You shall not steal. Maybe you're here saying, yep, I haven't stolen since I was a kid. I'm good to go. You shall not commit adultery. Check. Haven't done that. Three out of three. Not bad. But Jesus knew their hearts. The seventh commandment goes much deeper than just this physical act of adultery. So Jesus reminded them, and he reminds you and I this morning, of his radically deeper standard for sexual purity. So for all of us, brothers and sisters, those in main hall one, those in main hall two, my hope is that you pursue purity with a passion so that one day you and I could hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So the big question I have for you this morning is, what are you willing to do to pursue purity? In Matthew chapter 5, we'll see this passage broken up into two sections. Number one, the proclamation. The proclamation. Number two, the price of purity. The price of purity. First, let's look at the proclamation. Again, let's read verse 27 and 28. Look with me. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Marriage is sacred. 
One man, one woman, as a matter of fact, we have that in our covenant. We will honor marriage between one man and one woman. Why? Because it brings honor to God. It brings glory to God. And this marriage, if you're married, it should display the gospel. Marriage is good. And if you're married, married, cherish it. Care for your spouse. Love them. You've made a sacred covenant with your spouse. Marriage was established by God from the very beginning. We can go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know, in this context in Genesis, that two shall become one, they're talking about sexual intimacy. And you know, you have to fight, fight to protect your marriage, especially in this area. And so we're to honor God in all areas of our life but especially in this area. Hebrews 13, 4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let marriage be- the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. You know, Jesus continues to get to the heart of his proclamation, do not commit adultery. I do want to point out something, something I observed here as we look at Matthew chapter 5. He gets to the point here. He, he does this several times in this chapter. He says, you've heard that, and then he continues by saying, but I say to you this. I mean, look at verse 21 and 22 when he's speaking of anger. He says, you've heard that, and then in verse 22, but I say to you. When he's talking about oaths in, in verse 33, he says, again, you have heard, and in verse 34, he says, but I say to you, when it's talking about retaliation, verse 38 says, you've heard that. And then verse 39 says, but I say to you. Again, when he's talking about enemies, he says, you've heard that. In verse 44, but I say to you. And in verse 27 and 28, the text that we're looking at today, he's going to do the same thing. Again, look, he says in verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery, but I say to you. That everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, Jesus wants to set the record straight when it comes to adultery. Lusting in your mind is adultery. So, what is lust? What is lust? I think if we're going to fight against lust, if I'm asking you and encouraging you to fight against lust, we have to know what lust is. So here's the answer. Lust is a desire to engage or enjoy forbidden sexual activities. Now, that includes viewing things like pornography, fantasizing about another person, engaging in sex outside of marriage. All of this is lust. And Jesus' words And this proclamation cuts deep. And the Pharisees perhaps would hear this and say, do not commit adultery. I'm good. I've been living a righteous life. I've never committed adultery. But you see, Jesus says, even thinking about it makes you an adulterer. Now, I want to pause for a second. Because I think sometimes we have this tendency to think that this topic of lust is only for men. So women, we can close our ears. We don't have to listen to this sermon. But nothing could be further from the truth. This is not a man issue. We are all guilty of this sin. Every man, every woman. It just manifests differently at times. We all fall under this radical standard that Jesus is proclaiming. 
And notice the pattern of sin in verse 28. First, he says, it all begins with our eyes. But I say to you that everyone who looks, you know, often our eyes are a gateway. This is why parents, when we're at the store and we see the candy aisle, we stay away from them because our kids, as soon as they see it, I want that. Or you see the toy section, we stay away from that because kids will say, I want that. Kids are drawn to it. Adults, we're no different. When we see something, we want it. What we see is what we want. This was true for us. This was true from the very beginning with Eve when she first laid eyes on the tree. Genesis 3.16 says, or 3.6 says, it was a delight to the eyes. You know, often forbidden things are a delight to our eyes. This is why we must be cautious with what we allow ourselves to look at, brothers and sisters. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. I want to talk to the teenagers, those who are teenagers here in this room today, especially the young boys. Be cautious of what you look at. Train your eyes. Protect your eyes. Guard your eyes because ultimately it will leave you empty and broken. Young ladies, do the same. Protect your eyes. Guard yourself. Satan wants to destroy your life. Parents, guard their eyes. Help by guarding their eyes. As you, the primary disciple makers of your home, protect them. This is an evil world, and the world is ready to attack and pervert our children. After all, you would never give your child a knife, right? You would never give your teenager a grenade. Why? Because in the wrong hands, it's deadly. Our kids are growing up in an age when they carry their phones, and that can be a deadly weapon. So I want to encourage you, do regular phone checks. Check their laptop. See what they're looking at. Kids don't need privacy. Turn off their internet at certain times of night. Privacy should not exist. Teenagers don't need privacy when it comes to their phones. Parents, I've talked to some of you. You've discovered horrible things on your child's phone. Now, I know about now, maybe the pushback for some of you is, well, it just shows a lack of trust in my kid. And I would say to that, yeah, it is. And that's okay. Check their phones regularly. And if you want to trust your kids, I would encourage you, let them hold on to your passport for a couple weeks. Give them your credit card. Give them next month's money for food. Well, we wouldn't dare do that, right? Because we really don't trust them. But yet, when it comes to this, we say we trust them. Brothers, men in this room, what are you watching? What are you doing with your eyes at night? What are you gazing upon? If we displayed your thoughts this morning on the screens and showed everyone your thoughts, would you be ashamed? If we displayed our search history, would we be embarrassed? Sisters, are you careful as well what you're watching? Do you have eyes for other men apart from your husband? Do you make every effort to guard yourself from temptation? Do you, do you strive and desire emotional experiences with other men who are not your husband, reading books that are perhaps too sensual to discuss in public? The eyes are often the gateway. 
And then in verse 28, we see this, this uh, pattern. It's, it goes from the eyes to the mind. Look what he says again in verse 28. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. Intent. You see, intent begins with our minds. And as one commentator said, it's not typically the first look that causes you to sin. It's that prolonged second look. You know, thoughts all of a sudden pop up into your head, and they lead to fantasies. You know, we have a mind, and God has given us this mind and imagination, and it's amazing what God has done and how he's created the human body. And he's given us this mind with, as a powerful gift of creativity. And with this mind, these minds that we have, humans have done phenomenal things, right? If you've been to Egypt, you've seen the Great Pyramids. Somebody thought of that. Let's create this pyramid. If you've been to uh, somewhere you've seen, a, you've seen a space shuttle, that's amazing. A machine that will carry people to outer space. Submarines that have been built that have reached the deepest parts of the ocean. Buildings that have been built that are so high, they break the world record. Many of you, I'm sure, have been to the Burj Khalifa. This is amazing. But when this gift of our minds are abused and twisted, our imagination is capable of creating the most vile and perverted thoughts imaginable. Thoughts so gross and so sexual that we would be utterly ashamed to reveal what's going on in our heads. Church, what has filled your thoughts this week? What has come across your mind? Perhaps thoughts that you don't care to admit or say to anyone. Like the Pharisees, maybe you have a tendency to think that as long as I appear good on the outside, no one really knows what's going on on the inside. You say things like, nobody knows, it will be my little secret. Or are you broken? Are you broken by what's going on in your mind? Let me remind you of Matthew chapter 9, verse 4. Later, Jesus says, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Think about that. He knows their thoughts and says, why do you think evil in your hearts? Well, he says that because our thoughts and our hearts are closely tied together. One day, every thought will be exposed before a holy God. And in verse 28, it continues to show us this pattern that our eyes see something we want. We allow ungodly thoughts to enter our minds. And that ultimately reveals what's going on in our hearts. I think we see this pattern of sin best displayed in the story of David and Bathsheba. 2 Samuel verse 11, verse 2 to 4 says this, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Here David arises in the morning or in the afternoon, and he sees this woman, but he, he goes, and he goes out for a walk on the roof, and perhaps to enjoy the sun, and all of a sudden, he saw a woman bathing. Now, at this point, David has a choice to make. Do I keep looking? Or do I turn? Do I turn away from this 
thought and that's possibly going to enter my mind, or do I allow the visual image to take root into my mind? Well, we know what he does. He begins to fantasize and think about her, and he inquires about this woman. And even though he knows that she's married to Uriah, he's filled with a selfish desire to fulfill his sexual appetite and pursue momentary pleasure. What follows next is a series of sinful decisions, right? If you, you can continue reading, but she gets pregnant. He even calls for her husband to be murdered, all because he fell into this pattern of sin. His eyes see, leads to evil thoughts, which reveal his heart. Think about that in your own life. Has that been a pattern in your own life? Later, David is broken, and we read it this morning. He, he realizes the, the gravity of his sin, the weight of it. And this is why David cries out in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart. You see, David knows that it was not merely a physical act. It was a symptom of what was going on deep in his heart. David knows that lust is sexual sin. One commentator said, and once you've lusted, you are an adulterer. You've committed the irreversible act of adultery. You are guilty. You know, a proclamation like this can leave you and I gutted. It could leave us feeling hopeless, feeling defeated. And the question is, what can we do with such a radical standard of purity? Well, the answer is that we must be willing to pay the price of purity. Pay the price of purity. We're going to see in the next text, in the next uh, section of Matthew chapter 5. Look at with me at verse 29 and 30. Here's the price of purity. If your right eye, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members then your whole body go into hell. This, brothers and sisters, is a heavy price of purity. It certainly creates lots of questions. If you're looking at this and you're thinking to yourself, wow, did Jesus really say that? Yeah, he's saying, so if your eyes are causing you to sin, all we need to do is get a knife, stick it in our eyeball, plug it out. At the same time, if your right hand is causing you to sin, what does Jesus tell us to do? Go to the kitchen, get a knife, and start cutting our right hand, right? You ever thought about why he says the right hand and the right hand or right eye? Well, the right eye often symbolized uh, as being more powerful and important. The right hand symbolized strength. And they're both important even now, but back then it was probably more important. You know, you would farm, you would protect your land, maybe you had to go to battle, so you needed your eye and your right hand. But did Jesus really condone self-mutilation? I mean, is that really what Jesus is saying, that we actually have to do this? After all, there's been some in church history, some in this world that even now, in order to fight against this desire, they've castrated themselves. Should we do the same? No, certainly not. We should not take this literally. After all, if we tear out our right eye and cut off our right hand, you still have your left eye and your left hand. You can certainly sin with your left hand and your left eye. Well, maybe he meant cut both eyes out and both hands off. Well, there's a lot of blind people who still sin. 
There's a lot of people who don't have hands who still continue to lust. So I don't think Jesus commanded this. I think he's using hyperbole here, right? An exaggerated, uh, an exaggeration in order to communicate a clear point. It's like if I were to say, oh, my feet are killing me. You wouldn't say, oh, brother, let me, do you want me to call the, the police? Maybe I can, they can help you, protect you, right? In the U.S., I would say, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. You wouldn't say, oh, would you like that medium rare? Well done. No, it's, it's hyperbole, right? You're just using it to illustrate something, to sh- communicate something. And what Jesus is telling his listeners is that in order to pursue purity, you need to take drastic measures. In short, you need to get serious about purity. So what are these drastic measures? Maybe you're here you're thinking, well, what are these drastic measures? Well, I'm going to say this. It may be different for some of you, but it's nothing less than doing whatever it takes to get rid of sexual sin in your life. First, I want to exhort you, those in Main Hall 1, those in Main Hall 2, if you're struggling with any sexual sin, I want to say two things. Number one, out of love for you, I want to exhort you to confess. Confess to the pastors. We want to walk with you through this. We want to care for you. We want to pray with you. Some of you have confessed, and it's been amazing to see how God has restored you, how God has, has been glorified in that situation. Number two, I want to tell you, for your own soul, bring this sin to light. Don't believe the lie that you can do it on your own. Don't believe the lie that I can stop whenever I want. Bring it to light. So what is this drastic measure that Jesus is saying right here in Matthew 5? Well, for some of you, this drastic measure may be this, confessing to your spouse. In a room this size, I'm aware that there may be some of you who struggle with lust. There may even be some of you who have a spouse who's unaware that you struggle with lust. I would say this. Number one, pray. Pray that God would give you the words. Pray that God would give him or her a heart of understanding and love and confess. Share with them openly. I've had men in my life who've come to me and confessed this and even said, my wife doesn't know. I've walked through that with them. And there's been, yes, lots of tears, lots of broken hearts, challenging days, discouraging days, discouraging weeks, months. But over time, I've seen this amazing picture of restoration, how God has used that in their life to bring them closer together. It's an incredible testimony. In some ways, by being willing to tear out your own eye and to see, you're, you're, you're wanting to see the grace of God. By cutting off your hand, you're going to hold the truth of his word. If we confess our sins, this amazing God will forgive us of our sins. So bring this into light. Yes, you're going to cause your spouse pain. You're going to disappoint those around you. You're going to cause some to lose trust in you. You may need to step down from ministry for some time, but it's far better to deal with this now and rejoice in the one who grants grace and forgiveness than to go on suffering alone in secret. For some of you, the drastic measure might be getting rid of technology, getting rid of your phone, getting rid of your computer. You know, for some of you, having a smartphone may be too much. 
too much of a temptation. Throw it away. Some of you may have to delete certain apps on your phone. Do it. Take this drastic measure. Some of you who absolutely need a phone, a smartphone, I've had, I've had men in my life who've come to me and said, I need this smartphone for work, but I'm going to physically lock it after I get home, and I want you to keep me accountable. And they've locked their phone in a case. Well, that's pretty drastic. Yes, and that's what Jesus is telling us to do. Some of you, the drastic measure may just be facing the reality that you may not be able to watch certain movies, listen to certain songs, do certain activities, go to certain malls, walk past certain stores in order to preserve your purity. You know, in our home, before we watch certain movies, Cameron and I will look at a website called Plugged In or Common Sense where we look to see if there's any sexual content. I can't tell you how many times we've been like, well, we're not going to watch that movie. Yes, our kids are disappointed. They really wanted to watch it. But that's the price we're willing to pay for purity. I know this is hard. There's nothing easy about this process because what you're doing is tearing out your eye. You're cutting off your hand. And this process is painful. But this is the price of purity. But why? Why go through all this? Why, why have to pay this price? And why go through all these drastic measures? Well, Jesus tells us. Let's look at the second part of verse 29 and the second part of verse 30. Look at verse 29. He says, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And verse 30, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Yeah, but Pastor Ben, this is just a few images on my computer. It's not that often that I look at these things. It's not that big of a deal. It's just in my head. Don't make such a big deal about it. Well, I'm going to tell you, yes, it actually is a really big deal. It's clear in the text here that Jesus sees lust as serious. Jesus makes it clear that lust is a matter of life and eternal death. And this is why we're so serious about confession. That brothers and sisters, if you're struggling with this, that you first go to God and ask him for forgiveness, and second, that you come to us as pastors. You know, years ago, Cameron and I had a friend who had a deep desire to do ministry. He wanted to do missions work. He wanted to go to India. Matter of fact, he, he married a, a woman who also had that same desire. And they spent time in India. And in the process of coming back, trying to raise funds, uh, as they're wanting to move to India, the elders uh, began to realize that there were some red flags. And so they told them to wait, and they continued this desire, but they did it in the local church, just continue serving, waiting for the elders to say, yes, we give you approval. And four years later, his wife discovered that he'd been visiting other women and had fallen into adultery. You know, the elders, when they met with him, he confessed that he'd been addicted to pornography since the age of 12. He continued to fall into sin, and eventually his wife divorced him. Meanwhile, he fell into depression and ultimately ended up going to a rehabilitation facility that deals with those who are addicted to sexual acts. Brothers and sisters, if you think this can never happen to you, think again. If not for God's grace on our life, we would all be in this situation. 
You know, the six most dangerous words that you could ever say to yourself is that can never happen to me. Fight. Brothers and sisters, you have to fight for purity. You have to pursue purity with a passion. Run. Run from any sexual temptation. 1 Corinthians 6 says, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Jesus makes it clear to these Pharisees that And he makes it clear to us that it's not just a physical act, it's an act of the heart. So, in this text, we've seen the proclamation, we've seen the price of purity, and now we see a promise. And so, this isn't a new standard that Jesus came to deliver. It wasn't new by any means. This was always the standard. When you look at the Ten Commandments, It reveals God's holiness. It was never meant to be a list of rules. You know, if you look at prior to the Ten Commandments, God says something that we sometimes forget or gloss over. We read it this morning, but Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says that prior to the Ten Commandments. And see, here God is saying, I am the Lord your God. God wanted a people for himself, a people that would acknowledge him, not with their actions or only with their actions, but with their heart. And this God, the one true God, delivered them from slavery. And today, the same God, many years later, has delivered you and I from being slaves to sin. He would look down on sinful man and how he would see how sinful we really are. He saw that we have a tendency to act like these Pharisees, trying to act as though we're good on the outside while dying on the inside. And God would deliver us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb, the perfect sacrifice, the one who would never have an impure thought. He would never lust to hang on a cross, to suffer and pay for the price that we were supposed to pay. He died. Jesus died. But death could not hold him. Glory to God, death could not hold him. He defeated death so that we could have abundant life and live with him for eternity. This is the good news of the gospel, brothers and sisters, that if we repent of our sins, he will forgive you. He will forgive me. This includes every single thing we've ever done, every sin we've ever committed, every lustful thought we've ever had, every twisted and perverted image that's crossed our minds. If we just turn to him, we will be saved, not for our glory, but for his. And when we look at Matthew chapter 5, we must not forget that this is actually a story within a story. Here, Jesus is preaching a sermon, and he's given us the proclamation, and he's told us the price of purity, and it doesn't just happen. Purity doesn't just happen. We can't just do it. If you walk out thinking, okay, I'll do it, not going to happen. Jesus tells us how it's done. Earlier in the text, verse 8, if you go up, it goes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see, in order to do this, our hearts have to be pure. Our heart of stone has to be removed, and only God can give us a heart of flesh. The promise is that if you have a pure heart, one day we will see God. 
And you see here, Jesus in Matthew 5 calls us to a radical call. He says, tear out your eye and cut off your hand and live in this world with a broken body. And if we cut off our eye, one day we will see God. If we cut off our hand, one day we will raise our hands and worship the King of Kings forever. So friends, Jesus was broken for us on the cross so that we could be set free from sin. And maybe you're here and you're struggling. You're struggling with sexual sin and lust. You hear this radical call to purity and you think to yourself, I've struggled with this sin so many years. I don't know what to do. This is a secret sin in my life. I can't do it. I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to begin. If you're entangled in this sin and you think to yourself, I just can't overcome this, I want to tell you something. You're right. You're right. You can't do this on your own. This is why you need the gospel. This is why you need Christ. There is nothing in you that can overcome this in your own strength. For those of you who are here, you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you're a friend of ours, we welcome you here, but I want to tell you something. You have a greater need. If you continue to resist God and his call and and desire for you to repent, you're in grave danger of your whole body being thrown into hell. I tell you this because I love you. You might think that's offensive, but I am saying this because I love you. As one atheist said once, if you Christians really believe in hell, how much do you have to hate me not to warn me? So today, non-Christian friends, I want to encourage you and exhort you to repent, turn from your sins, and trust in God who loves you. But those of you who are Christians, if you're guilty, of this, and maybe even committed sexual adultery physically with someone, I want to tell you and encourage you, it is covered in the cross. We can repent. No sin is too great, and it's never too late to trust in Christ and to beg for his forgiveness and ask, and he will forgive you. Today, there is hope in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You know, one of our church members recently looked into my eyes and With a sincere heart, he asked, is it really possible for me to overcome this sin? And I would say, in Christ, I say, yes, absolutely, without a doubt. Christ shed his blood on the cross to give you a new heart and victory over lust. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for how merciful you've been. God, I ask that you would help us, that you would make us more like your son, Christ, in every way, in our thoughts, in our actions, in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.